Hey, turkey burgers. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN, the only VPN that currently exists. I can say that because time is an illusion created by our brains' ability to retain memories. But I assure you that the past and future have no physical reality. ExpressVPN doesn't log or sell your activity like a lot of cheap or free VPNs. They're extremely fast and easy to use on any of your devices. Just one touch of a button is all you need. Even your elderly future self can use it. But that's assuming the future isn't a pretend concept created by our imagination, which... It is. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link expressvpn.com slash more news today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash more news. Visit expressvpn.com slash more news to learn more. Welcome back to Even More News, the first and only news podcast. My name is Katie Stoll. I have nothing to add. Wait, my name is Cody Johnston. Hi. Hi, Cody Johnston. Joining us today for the first time, uh, writer, producer, and comedian whose credits include Hocus Pocus 2, Young Rock, and Workaholics. That's right. It's Jen D'Angelo. Hi. It's <laughs> freaking out right now. I know it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. We're thrilled to have you. Um, I have been really, we're going to get to this. We'll talk more about this very soon, but I have been following your posts about the writer's strike and everything. So we're very thrilled to have you here today. Uh, you've been very eloquent in how you discuss this. And uh, so, yeah, we appreciate you, you taking the time because I know there's a lot going on right now. No, I am so thrilled. I All I want to do is talk about the strike because I feel so strongly about it. And every time I try to write about it, I'm like, oh, wait, I'm trying so hard to distill this into digestible. It's, it's really hard. It's really it's complicated. Hard. It's complicated. And taking the time, distilling it into shareable bits is important. Coming on these shows is important because I know everybody has lots of questions. And most we all work in the entertainment industry, so we have access to more information but uh, i think a lot of people at home don't necessarily have that there's a lot going on in the world so we'll unpack that but first we must celebrate some holidays oh good favorite part of the show good holidays oh yeah these are, are worth celebrating good holidays existing? worth celebrating okay. today may 25th thursday may 25th national tap dance day Ooh, ooh! i quit <laughs> okay. tap dancing when i was well <clears throat> I was a, a, I don't want to say overweight child because I have lots of issues with what, how we classify weight and whatnot. But, you know, I also don't want to call a child curvy. But, you know, <laughs> I was, my first role was Mr. Beaver in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And my second <laughs> one was the understudy for Augustus Gloop. <laughs> anyway, I got, I, I used to do tap dance, but I quit because I felt really uncomfortable in my little outfits. Oh no. Oh no, I made it sad. It's National Tap Dance Day. <laughs> to all who celebrate. To all who celebrate. And not you, apparently. It, it, I so... wanted to learn how to tap dance as a child so badly and never did. So that's its own tragedy, you know? It's like, why <laughs> didn't I pursue way. my dreams from a young age? I know, but I yeah. think a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, I was very taken with Shirley Temple 
and I was like, I want to be on the good ship lollipop. I mm. want to tap dance around. It just then I I became a more of an indoor kid. <laughs> <laughs> and I tap dance every day, so we have the whole spectrum of tap dance experience. Do you? No, I don't. But I've known I, you for so long, and I've probably never did. Yeah, at one point for some show, I don't know. I'll still sometimes shuffle ago. around, like ah, pretending, that but it's that counts. Eh. Can I share one sentence from the Wikipedia page for National Tap Dance Day? Yes, please do. This is a direct quote. Tap Dance Day is celebrated online with 27,518,521 mentions on social media in 2016. Citation needed. (laughs) (laughs) Citation needed. So someone just made that up. That's so many mentions. It's a big specific (laughs) number. That's really specific. Also, what happened in 2016 specifically? That was just like a boom. We the got boom. Well, yeah. May twenty yeah. fifth. Donald Trump was running for office. Yeah, he hadn't yet won. Mm, so was tapping, Hillary Clinton. tapping his way to the White House. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, George H. W. Bush signed this holiday into law. That's correct. Oh, so yeah. in nineteen eighty nine, a little piece of Taylor history. Swift was born. Today. Oh, so coming full circle. It's all circle. connected. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's famous tap dancer Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. May 26th, Friday, May 26th, National Title Track Day, a day to celebrate songs that share a title with the album they come from. Notable examples include the Beatles' Let It Be, the Velvet Underground's White Light, White Heat, and Bob Dylan's The Times They Are Changing. I would also throw out Dark Side of the Moon. Not to fact check immediately, but there's no song on that album called Dark Side of the Moon. Oh. Title lyrics. Does that, I think that it's just count? a song on the album that shares the title with the oh. album. Okay. So take that back. Har- Har- Harvest Moon. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Longest pause in the world. <laughs> I had to go sure. through. No, no, no. Oh, there it is. Old King. Yeah, why not? No. Yeah. Why did he? American he Idiot. Harvest Moon believe? and Harvest, which I think is too similar the bends neil young if you're listening to mess with you i know me specifically specifically. heroes heroes that's one Mm -hmm. of them thriller come on we We can fill out an hour podcast with this (laughs) yeah uh yeah i'm gonna continue reading this uh list that somebody else uh made of this is specific category there are 50 items so strap in everybody (laughs) born in the usa jolene all right oh yeah oh jolene jolene that's I mean, this is like, we, we do talk about the news and we're going to get to that. Oh, yeah. But we also talk about Purple Rain and <laughs> London Calling. This is like, you know, I, nobody's asked me this recently, but I was thinking about the answer to what are your, you know, if you're stranded on a desert island, I think it's an impossible question to answer. And if you only have one answer, then... I don't know. You so you're not going to answer. You're just going to say that no, you don't want to answer. But I would say that Graceland, the White Album, you know, maybe like something else. I can't mm. choose one. I would cheat and take like a now that's what I call music compilation. Oh, wait, that's <laughs> a really good answer. Exactly. Yeah. That's so a really I could good have answer. Some different like moods, a box different set. vibes. Yeah. yeah. I just kind of think that the key is to, yes, a box, something big. So there's lots of options. Yeah, lots of B sides to explore. Do do the now this is now that's what they call music compilations have B sides, 
like deep cuts from those. <laughs> oh. Pro- I mean, probably at a certain point, they're like, oh, I'll put this on it, I guess. Running out of songs, right? <laughs> that would be a good album or like playlist for them to release now is just like songs that they were like, you know yeah, what? Yeah. But we maybe missed it on this one. This the is second too Marcy Playground yeah. single. I don't think we needed to include that. <laughs> yeah, these songs exist too. Yeah. This music, I don't know. We'll work on the title, but this is, I think, a really good idea for us to pursue. Mm-hmm. They're up to number 114, apparently. That's wow. Allegedly coming out April of earlier this year. <laughs> Wikipedia is not great, folks. Of, We're not. Citation, citation needed, needed, please. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm um, wondering, hey, gosh, there must be people that still buy those albums. Gotta be. What, on iTunes yeah. or whatever iTunes is called them? now? Well, I mean. If they're coming out with another one. I feel well, like streaming they? music is, uh, well, didn't you just say so, Cody? Yeah, I mean, but allegedly, April though, of this year. Allegedly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, we've passed. We blew right through that deadline. <laughs> vroom, vroom! That's the sound of healthy choices driving its motorcycle through the storefront window that is your life. Kaboom, crash, vroom. I'm talking, of course, about AG1 by Athletic Greens, a vitamin drink that will absolutely demolish you with nutrients. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted to aid with my gut health. All of my power comes from my gut, you see. But along with supporting a healthy digestion, gut health-wise, AG1 will skull blast you with a daily dose of vitamin C and explode your life with energy and focus. It'll absolutely mess you up with its atomic shockwave of health. If AG1 was a person, it would wear cool sunglasses. So if you want to take ownership of your health today, today's a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash more news. That's athleticgreens.com slash more news. Check it out if you want to taste the fiery depths of health. Cool stuff. Of health. Okay, Jen. Now we get to know you a little bit. What's going on? How are you doing? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> um, you know, I'm on strike. Uh, mm-hmm. That's sort of like the main headline is, uh, yeah, I've just been picketing a lot. Have you been out there every day? I have been out there most days. I have skipped a couple days. I think a better way for me to rephrase that is how often are you going? Because mm. anyway, yeah, <laughs> I know I am immediately like, like I'm so sorry. I, I, no, no, like silly me. Yeah, I but because I I say that because I imagine and pretty soon SAG is going to hopefully be joining officially, yeah. and um, I just think that it's an unbelievable amount of pressure. And to know, like, I should go and do this. And it's, and it's a sustained effort. This isn't something that's just a couple weeks. People are gearing up, and we'll get into this very short soon. But, you know, for the long haul, and you have to protect yourself. You have to, to live your life. You have to run your errands. You have to take care of your body and your mind. Totally. I know. It's, it's really inspiring to be out there. And mm-hmm. so, like, going out there does feel really nice and it feels good to sort of like have that sense of community and you feel like you're doing something although sometimes you feel like you're not doing anything but uh it's important to push through those moments but uh yeah it's definitely everyone has been gearing up for like a long haul um people have been talking about the strike for months like it was it seemed like a foregone conclusion um you know definitely at the beginning of this year 
Uh, and people have also been talking about how it's probably going to go at least through the summer. And so everyone was sort of prepared for like, okay, we're we're gearing up uh, and this is the beginning of a marathon. So yeah, it's, but it's also cool because I think a lot of people have been going like, if not every day, like most days of the week and just taking like, you know, maybe a day off. So yeah, it's weird. Summer of protesting. It's going to get hot soon. I know. But there is something, yes, community building, not networking, but yeah, getting a chance to interact with other riders, you know, because it can be not isolating, but some rooms are in person, some are over Zoom. The last few years have been very intense. Totally. And I imagine that there is, if there's a silver lining, it's this opportunity to connect and, and talk to people. And I'm sure that is a benefit. Um Totally. I mean, there have been so many people that I've talked to, like, out on the lines. That's yeah, honestly been such a weird development is to be like, oh, now it's just in my vocabulary. Like, oh, I was on the line yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Where's our union bosses and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, so many people have been saying, like, that it's so nice to realize, have that moment of realizing, like, oh, you know, I've been really struggling and having a really hard time these past few years. And it's really nice to sort of realize that that's not just my personal battle. It's not just like, oh, well, I'm not good enough or whatever. That it's just like, oh, everyone has been feeling the same problem just in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, a silver lining-ish of just being like, uh, yeah, we're all in this together. You are a writer and a performer. Yeah, how long have you been in the WGA and have you seen this coming, the writing kind of on the wall? And in what ways, how, how am I phrasing this? Everybody's become more political over the last few years, and yeah. uh, uh, which is a good thing. But seeing that, but like a lot of people, we're in arts and entertainment and you don't enter this thinking like, I'm going to need to just be fighting for you know, a big picture cause, like this is an existential threat to your career. And I don't know, just how long has this been brewing? How long have you got, you, do you get what yeah, I'm saying? No, I, I totally get what you're asking. Yeah. I need writers um, to write things for me. <laughs> no, I totally understand. So, okay, bear with me, because this might be a long answer. Because um, I've been thinking so much about sort of my relationship to the strike and like why I feel so strongly and why it's brought up such strong emotions in me. And um, I've been in the WGA for 10 years. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> Like any career in entertainment is always going to involve a combination of hard work, talent, and luck. Yep. And I feel like I definitely have had quite a bit of luck because I got my first writing job when I was 24. I was a staff writer on Cougar Town. And then I worked in TV until now or until the strike and i then in the past few years like in 2019 um was when i started working in features also so the past you know three ish years like i uh i have had both um and so i've gotten to see a really wide array of things in this industry and sort of uh many different facets of how it works and it really has been just realizing that over the past few years, everyone has been feeling the same problem just in their own different way. Like IATSE, which is the largest entertainment union, and they represent like the crew, like stagehands and live theater mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like camera people, editors, like they 
represent a wide array of people. And in 2021, for the first time in that union's history in 128 years, they voted to authorize the strike, which was a really big deal. And I was on set a lot that fall. And hearing all of their stories was really inspiring and eye-opening because, you know, they would say the struggles that they're having and they would oftentimes be blaming, not blaming, but they would they would be framing it as like the writers and producers and directors mm-hmm, are making mm-hmm. us do this and work this way. And I was listening to it just thinking like, well, yeah, but that's like a trickle down of how the writers, directors, producers are being forced to work by the studios which is the trickle down of how the studios are being forced to work by their corporations, which are Mm -hmm. now completely focused on stock prices and subscriber numbers and no longer traditional just profits and creating good movies and creating good shows. Like their goal completely changed. And then that has just fundamentally altered everything and just made everyone work harder and faster for less and less. And that's been a noticeable shift in the last few years. And I think Part of why this strike is so, um, you know, it's gained a lot of momentum where we're getting a lot of support is because everyone can see that it's the same problem and it's a systemic problem. Yeah, it's a uh, solidarity issue sort of hearing like, oh, me too. But even though you, it feels like you're in different worlds, you're all in the same world and having the same sort of pressures and uh, demands on you, even though totally. you're doing different things. Totally. Like the jobs are so, so different that it's really hard to kind of (laughs) recognize the parallels of them. But then when you actually talk to people, you're like, oh, we're all just being told to work as hard as humanly possible, as fast as humanly possible for as little money as possible, like as cheap as you can. It does not just feel, but is the reality that the whole industry has shifted. Uh, Not just, I mean, we'll get into streaming and we'll get into what the issues at hand here, but all industries capitalism, all of it is built on growth. And you have to keep growing. And if you're not growing, then uh, you're failing somehow, even though you're still it's not about like, maintaining a reasonable level of profits, so that you're taking care of the people that work for you so that they can continue to work for you. That doesn't matter. And uh, the people who are in charge of studios and the heads of it are only focused on yes, you know, share prices, uh, stockholders their own personal profits and their profits are skyrocketing and, and they're, they're also sorry to interrupt no you. no you go i was <laughs> um, gonna meander my way to a stopping <laughs> point please go <laughs> <laughs> it's also like it's not even just because i think the thing that gets that i get really self-conscious about when i talk about the strike is like when you talk about writers and actors wanting to have you know some semblance of stability or wanting to have you know fair wages it gets caught up in this idea of like the entertainment industry is an inherently very risky industry. Like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. when I was in college and telling people, you know, I was studying screenwriting and telling people I wanted to be a writer, everyone that I talked to that worked in entertainment, I would ask them for advice and they would be like, my best advice is if you can do literally anything else with your life, yeah. do that because this industry is so yeah. hard. It's so unpredictable. The work is inconsistent. The hours are long. The pay is really low for a really long time. You know, you're, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. You can go years without working, blah, blah, blah. So there's always that element of it. And so, you know, I think it's easy if you don't know a writer and you don't, you know, know an actor, you're not hearing their personal struggles. I think it's easy to dismiss 
our concerns is like, well, that's just inherent in the business. But the business has changed so much where it's like, it's not just, okay, yes, we are a capitalist society. This is a business. They need to make money. They need to make profits. Of course, that's what they're doing. Now it's just like they're trying to win and they're trying to beat Netflix. And so that's why all of these places poured billions of dollars into their streaming platforms without any clear sense of how they were going to make that money back. Like, oh, they could only really make that money back, I guess, like if they remain the sole streamer, I guess, and the other ones fold and they become the only producer of entertainment. So it's not even like, it's not even capitalism. It's just like this, you know, crazy uh, competition among these handful of multi-millionaires, billionaires or whatever at the very, very top. And nobody wins in it, not even them. Like they're all, you know, these companies are struggling, I think is what we can assume (laughs) (laughs) based on uh, what we're seeing, like the layoffs and uh, the cost cutting, the belt tightening. The constant changes of names of streaming platforms. Totally. The constant rebrands, yeah. Everything. So it's just like, it's not even like this business is warping into something that I don't recognize where like the just everything feels like it's all out of whack well and we're so far away from the goal which is to create art which is so fundamentally important to culture to our society um to blue collar workers at the end of the day from everybody affects everybody everybody uh consumes entertainment and media and there is you know yeah, again, existential questions that are arising here is like, what is the future of this industry? What is, and if we allow the studios to get their way, what does that mean for what we're consuming 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line? I want to circle back to what you were saying about how, you know, there's this idea that this, we all understand that it's a risky business to get into. However, that has always been true. You know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to find work or employment. But once you're in L.A. and in entertainment and if you are able to stick it out and, you know, find your path, it used to be sustainable. It used to actually be a viable career. But now, even if you are one of the lucky people that have a job that gets staffed, it's not a realistic profession especially if you need to be living close to los angeles or new york city where the cost of living is so high you need to make an astronomical amount of money in order to actually feel secure uh and and it's it's a huge problem (laughs) yeah it's crazy i mean it's it really is you know so when I first started out, one of my first jobs, I was a production assistant, which is the lowest, uh, you know, it's like an entry level job on a TV show. I was a production assistant on The Big Bang Theory for season five, which was the season that they hit 100 episodes. So I was there for the 100th episode party. That was like a huge milestone because that means your show is going to go into syndication. It's going to yeah. be rerun. You get paid every time people it's like we're making a lot of money. Uh And I got to see, you know, all of the people that worked on that show, like the crew, I got to see what it's like for them to have some semblance of stability to be on this long running show that did 22 episodes. They, you know, it was a job that they could count on. And that was so rare, but it existed. Now, 
that doesn't exist at all. No one is doing seasons that long. Uh you know, syndication, who even knows what that's going to be? Like, who even knows what television is going to look like as the, like, these studios keep reinventing their streamers or whatever and funneling stuff onto that? Like, you just watched, I've just watched all of the extremely rare life rafts that we had just sink. And now everyone is just kind of treading water, just like furiously trying to stay afloat as best they can. And then, you know, maybe you'll luck out and for whatever reason, you'll find some way <laughs> to support yourself. But it's becoming so rare. And now, you know, it used to be that, yes, it's absolutely impossible to get your first writing job. But then it's at least a little bit easier to get your second and then a little bit easier to get your third. And now you have people with good credits and good reputations who are going years in between writing jobs just because the jobs aren't there anymore. Because these Streamers are saying, we're actually not going to give you a full writing budget for your television show. And the job that used to be done by 10 people, we want you to do entirely mm -hmm. yourself or else we will not pick up your show. Mm -hmm. Right. Despite the fact that like there there's more content out there uh, than ever before. Yet yeah. Fewer, fewer opportunities exist. And that's totally. just like a wild, such a weird way to run things. Yeah. We were talking about how streaming changed the landscape so much in terms of the jobs that are available. Um, there are these mini rooms, which I, I want to ask about at some point, but uh, I really am interested in how the residuals have changed because clearly people aren't getting residuals the way they used to from syndication on streaming. And a lot of that is in terms of the transparency in that we don't know how many people are watching a specific thing? And you wrote a major streaming sequel, and I'm wondering if you have any idea how many people watched Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney+. Plus. No, okay, so I, every time I talk about Hocus Pocus 2, I will jokingly be like, the allegedly successful movie. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I have a sense of how well it did based on sort of just talking to people. And, um, you know, I, I know that people saw it and people liked it. But I have no idea how many people actually saw it and no residuals for streaming for the WGA are based currently are based on viewership. They don't take viewership into account at all. It's <laughs> wild. Uh, it's crazy. That's and absurd. so I got <laughs> I got my first residual, my first and only so far residual check for Hocus Pocus 2. And I was just sort of like, I have no idea of knowing if this right. is the correct amount or not i have no idea what this is even based on and then i you know i talked to a friend who had a movie released on streaming that you know definitely was not talked about as much as hocus pocus was and their residual check was more than double what i got and i was just sort of like again i have no idea of knowing if that's correct what this is based on and you know, there's been the residuals system in Hollywood has always been, you know, it's it's an open secret that when you have some part of profit share, you are probably going to have to force the studio to open their books for you, either by like suing them or threatening to sue them to actually see that you are getting the appropriate yep. profit share, because it's very easy. I mean, think of what a... a budget for a movie entails it entails like 
an explosions budget. Like it entails like catering. Like, you know, there's, it's such a massive, uh, you know, mountain of accounting. And so it's very easy to kind of be like, to hide your profits and be like, oh, well, this actually wasn't profitable. So the, the profit share that you got is actually correct. Like it's, that's been open secret for so long that it's just like, you really have to force the studios to be honest with you. And now we don't even have the ability to do that. There's no transparency. Not, yeah, there's zero. Because even back uh, then, yeah, like they don't, they wouldn't necessarily expect anybody to make a stink about it. Because like, oh, I got a check finally. Like totally. So you know, you, I'm so you grateful sort of for this put money. People in these sort of situations of like desperation in some sense, and then totally. you get a little bit, and you're like, fine, whatever you say. Um, and now there's not even that. <laughs> Yeah, is, yeah. It's I an, should correct myself. Sorry, I did just say something incorrect. Uh, there, we do have the ability to sort of force the streamers to be honest with us. Like you can, like for Hocus Pocus, I contacted the guild to be like, "What is this number that I just got, and is it correct? Like it feels low." <laughs> and uh, they got back to me, and they were like, "We looked into it, and that is the appropriate amount based on the formula that we have." viewership is not considered in that formula at all. Mm. So, you know, you don't get compensated for the success of it at all. What is but the formula? Which is like, does <laughs> have the ability to look at it. How is viewership like, not in the formula? Like, what other numbers are there? That's It's so... like, it's some formula that's based on, I think, like, the number of of I was going to guess, like, subscribers yeah. within that period. Yeah. From, like, that's so... But that's I don't absurd. even know if it's that... within that period. I honestly don't know what Just... it is. I mean, and like, look, we're talking around something that it is incredibly complicated to wrap our minds, anybody's mind around how you parse this out. It's a completely different technology than traditional, you know. Totally. And it's also like talking to people on the line. Um, <laughs> you know, you get to talk to people who were here for like the strike in 1984 yeah. and the strike in 2007. And you know, the strike in 1984 was over VHS tapes and like home video mm -hmm. and wanting to make sure that we were involved in the in the success of our work in this new medium of home video and VHS. 2007, it was a lot about DVDs and it was also about getting jurisdiction over things released on the Internet. And so if we hadn't gone on strike in 2007, the WGA would not have any jurisdiction over these streaming platforms, whereas we now have kind of like some jurisdiction but they mm -hmm. can skate through by claiming their new media and so then they can get these like low budget rates and undercut all of our protections because they're quote new media even though they're now even though the bulk yeah, of the business exactly. yeah and also like i would not obviously like streaming happens via the internet but i would not categorize streaming services as like oh that like internet content like internet totally stuff. no that's i mean just it's a new different <laughs> crazy is like i hocus pocus in terms of what the writer sorry this is like really nitty-gritty so uh no this is great so the writers guild you know has very clear delineations between like how something is released so you know there's all these rules for like is this a television show that's released on network tv here's how you get paid here's what the profit share structure is like is this a cable television show is this going to be released in movie theaters whatever blah 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 for streaming it's this weird thing where Hocus Pocus 2 in the eyes of the WGA was considered a TV movie. And so 
it, that got into like weird stuff with like crediting the writers because you know it's different in tv versus movies and meanwhile it's the same number of pages <laughs> yeah. you have to put in the same amount of effort there's no difference between making a movie for streaming and making a movie for theatrical you just get paid less that's the only <laughs> difference is that you get paid less and you don't participate in the success of it at all like the the day-to-day -day of making it is the exact same so there's so many stories being shared right now of people, you know, Emmy winning writers and literally are on food stamps or have negative account bank accounts. And it's just I just want our listeners at home to be able to wrap their minds around it, because it's still I know that there are some people that say it's Hollywood elites or yeah, but what you know, you get. Yeah, you'll get a paycheck for. I, that might look impressive to somebody, but then you have to make that last and like understanding some of the nature of this. It's just, I guess we've already covered it, but yeah, it's just impossible. Well, no, I mean, I think about that a lot when talking about residuals because, you know, residuals on the surface, you know, residuals for anyone that doesn't know, it's essentially just a royalty. So it's, it's as if like you invented a product and then sold it to a larger company and you kept a piece of the profits. That's all it is. Like it's, you know, books like authors get a percentage mm -hmm. of the sales of their books because they created that and when we're talking about the residuals being taken away and that we want to participate in the success of our work i think sometimes people can view that as us asking for like just a bonus like we want the money you know but residuals are truly a very important part of the economy of this industry because the work is so sporadic and there's so much stuff that's out of your control. You know, you're not a full-time employee. You're an independent contractor. So there are times where you will just not be working through no fault of your own. And residuals allow for people to sustain those times that they are not working, which means that you can keep skilled people in the workforce. Like there are so many people who are leaving the entertainment industry and this is happening in every industry. I mean, every industry is feeling this squeeze of like, what am I doing this for? The pay is getting lower. The work is getting harder. I don't want to stay in this. And so they're leaving and you're losing all of these talented, passionate people. Your workforce is getting worse. And then, you know, you have these weird situations where you're like, why can't I find a good person for this job? And it's like, well, there's only five of them now like the rest of them have left this business because it was too hard and that's why residuals are an important part of this like they allow you to not have to be scrambling constantly if you have something that's successful you get to stay in the business and work on new things that eventually and work on new like, things right. that become a job creator yeah. yeah and like to anybody who's still saying well still but that's extra bonus money no, 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 no. We haven't even talked about the amount of unpaid labor, which is 90% yeah. of, I mean, I'm not a WGA writer. I'm not pursuing the same exact career, but even with acting, there is a lot of work that goes into each and every audition you're going to, you have to treat that like that's already your role, that that's already your job. But for a writer, you're writing stuff on spec. They're saying we generally want some we want to hire somebody to write this property. Give me your pitch. So you spend months developing uh, yeah. a pitch and then maybe you're, you know, like you write it. You don't know. Even if you sell a show or like you get it optioned 
And there's just so much unpaid work to with so many things that can explode. You just have to do it because you want to keep doing it. Yeah. So that's also part of what this is. And like you totally. want these skilled, but the people up top do not care coming back they around about the quality of the product at this point. And this seems like a good time to bring up AI. This is another issue. Wait, sorry. Can uh, I wait, say no. one more thing on yes. residuals? Because you're totally oh, right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. The free work element of it is the most important part. I can't <laughs> believe I left that out. Because, um, yeah, the, like writers and actors and directors and producers, like the people that do get residuals, like they have to do constant free work for, you know, they're looking for the next thing. They're looking for the next idea. They're, you know, yeah putting a lot of time and effort into every single audition that an actor goes on, regardless of whether or not they book it and they're just doing free work. And, you know, that the residuals cover that lean time. And there's been, you know, some talk in the union and just in the industry about paying writers for development work to try mm -hmm. to cut down on the amount of free work that they're doing. And I actually am sort of like, I understand how that could actually be bad for example hocus pocus 2 that was an open writing assignment which means that disney the studio put out the word like hey we're interested in looking at hocus pocus 2 like who, you know they contacted agents of some writers that they liked they had read a script that i had written for free in my own time while i was a tv writer you know in between seasons i wrote a feature sample that got passed around that's how they knew of me they reached out to my agent being like, does she want to be one of the people to come in and pitch? I was thrilled. I was so excited. I spent weeks working on this take and I went in and I pitched it and I won the job. And I do know that there are other people that spent the same amount of time and effort developing their take. They went in and pitched it and they did not get the job. And that is horrible. I've also been in that situation before where I haven't mm -hmm. gotten the job and it's just mm -hmm. been a waste. But at the same time, I'm like, I, at the time, was a TV writer with no feature credits. If Disney had to convince people to pay me to develop an idea, I don't know that they necessarily would have hired me. They would have been mm -hmm. hiring people with more experience. And so mm -hmm. that might wind up, wind up like shutting people out unintentionally yeah. and sort of taking opportunities away from people. Which, you know, it's a difficult situation because you don't want people doing tons and tons of free work. And that's why, you know, you typically are relying on your agent to kind of get like a good sense of, okay, how many people are actually going in and pitching on this? Is it 100 people or is it five? Because right. if it's 100 people, it's not worth my time. How much do I really care about it? Blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, you're always doing that math. But I think residuals are a part of that residuals cover that downtime and if you have an ability to continue making money off of something if it is successful then you know it takes the burden off of like the pre-work needing yep. to be the thing yeah. that exactly I'm, I'm sorry I'm, I'm reminded of a lot of these uh these like a lot of like twitter blue like old architecture old painting accounts on twitter that are like, why don't we, why don't, why does nobody make these like amazing sculptures anymore? Why does nobody make these like amazing things anymore? Well, they were commissioned and like, like yeah. they were paid, like people paid you to like, just do that. Live people your life you and only do that. Yeah. Right. Um, because you have all this time and you can't, you can't spend all of your free time focusing on that. We also you used need to have, to have another job so you can like, no, that's yeah. what I mean. Exactly. I don't mean, but yeah, commissioned, but they also 
I don't mean Patreon, but just the whole concept of like the wealthy person is like my my patron, my sponsor to yeah, say exactly. like I get to go out and make art. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Live live here well, and just make this yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it gets back to this thing of like, you know, we watched what happened to the music industry where all of a sudden it just became the idea of like, we don't pay for music. We don't want to and we won't. And that led to this situation in the music industry where artists don't make any money off of streaming and that has decimated their industry and sort of made it a lot worse for indie bands and mid-tier bands and it's a nightmare and you know they've taken away like the concept of paying for mm. entertainment which you know that is a cultural thing like that's a cultural seismic shift that you can't blame on any one individual but i will say that like the studios you know the past few years like they keep there's just been this constant refrain among everyone of just like oh well the industry has changed like the business has changed people don't watch things the way they used to and it's just like well yeah but you like yeah. that argument is oh. just like who would have ever thought that if we put all of your stuff on our platform and charge people four dollars a month for everything that we would make less money like i don't yeah. know like and now they're unwilling to pay more like that's crazy yes it's like how did this happen and what do we do about it yeah well think and about it for what are they gonna do about it they're yeah. gonna put ads and raise the price Sorry. exactly <laughs> the people who made those decisions are the ones for whom there's not a complicated formula to figure out how many pennies they make they're the ones making tens of millions of dollars for their mistake running totally. warner brothers into the ground mm. totally yeah i just keep coming back to a, a, a real lack of respect for art and art forms and artistry to the same with the music. I mean, Spotify is making a bank, you know, the CEOs totally. that have come in to streamline it. And like, you're trying to say that this is cheaper for the user, which I guess in the music sense, instead of going out and buying all those albums, but then you don't have those albums anymore, like on your shelf, which is like having art in your home. Yeah. But in terms of streaming, I pay more that I've ever paid in my life. Yeah. You know, every year I'm spending more money things. on it. And they keep removing yeah. things. And they're also adding, I like, I, I'm paying for a service, but I refuse to pay for the top tier one. So I'm still getting commercials. And personally, I enjoy commercials because I like doing commercials. So I don't have a problem with that. But they're making I've actually so been much. enjoying commercials too. I have commercials yeah. on Peacock and I'm like, you know what? I kind of like yeah. seeing them I again. I support it. I love seeing my friend in the commercial. I like to see how people yeah. are writing. A little writing. pause, yeah. And personally, I love when I get to work on a commercial set. I think it's the most fun. I mean, obviously you prefer to have something juicy part that you get to, but a commercial set, no one is being you know no one's the star no one is like and everyone's excited to be at camp for a couple days anyway i digress not taking it too um, seriously yeah, yeah. But like coming back around to what you were saying earlier the patrons and like have people commissioned for art that at its core was a a reverence for arts and art the arts and artists because that would make the donor look good that wasn't just he's not then charging people to see his sculpture this is a reflection of me and my taste and sensibility in the world. I see this as an important part of the social fabric. I want this to be my, I know that I can't make it, but my contribution is, to, it's just a fundamental shift in how people appreciate it. You know what I mean? Totally. It's also just a fundamental shift in like, you know, the very simple idea of movies and television is like the studio's 
pay for us to make it and then they sell it and that's where their money comes from. But now the studios pay us to make it so that they can put it on their platform and then just like hope people stay on it. Like there's no one is selling anything to anyone yeah, it's anymore. Yeah, this sort of reversal to like way way back in the day where it's like yeah you're you're the studio is the distributor yeah. and it's reaching the point dangerously so especially with like ai where it's like the studio is like right quote unquote writing it and making it and like they're just going to be crapping things out and it's the same people doing it it's the studio heads who are also the distribution heads who are also the creative heads and uh, it's just this weird monopolization, like blob of not anything worth watching. Yeah. And it's just like they're making decisions based only on how it affects their bottom line. Like they have no, they're not accountable to anybody else. Like they are the, yeah, they're making it, they're distributing it. They're, you know, solely in charge of it. Um, and so that means that they get to take these hard lines of just like, no, we don't want it unless you do it this way. And mm -hmm. if you don't want to do it this way, you can walk because there's a hundred people out there who will create a show for us and we don't care. <laughs> hey, yeah, we don't care if it's good. Um, yeah. I'm reminded of the funniest thing maybe somebody like had a running studio has said recently, which is the, like the marvel of it all. Obviously, that's also doing a lot of stuff to sort of uh, suffocate a lot of creativity, I think, in a lot of ways. But um they made Disney Plus was like we're gonna make as many things we can for Marvel. We're gonna do as many Marvel things as we can, and then they had to come out and say like, actually, so we we've heard your complaints, and I think the exact quote is like, we're going to focus less on quantity and more on quality. Like if you have to go out and say that you're gonna try to make good things, that's a problem. <laughs> that should be totally. the thing you're starting at. Well, it's also like you know, I I can't speak too much on this because I only know a little bit, but. You know, the VFX industry is in shambles because yeah. they are so mm. overworked. There's so much very VFX heavy stuff that needs their talent and their labor. And they are being forced in these situations where it's just like you need to work as hard and as fast mm -hmm. as you possibly can. And, you know, it doesn't matter how good it looks or not. Like, just keep working mm -hmm. on it and make it look as good as you possibly can. And don't stop working until you right. absolutely it's be have like to. Really demoralizing too, because then those things come out and like they're not as good as they could have been. And so people are like, look at this shit. And then like, well, it's not my fault. I wanted more time. So totally. Like, I was the literally the money, the resources yeah. to it. Yeah. I was watching my husband and I put on the mask yesterday. Uh <laughs> we were just like, haven't seen it in a while. Let's, yeah. What's this about? Uh <laughs> and I kept saying to him, I was like, honestly. The effects in this look great. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that is kind of sad because it's just yeah. like that movie came out in, I don't know, 96, 94. Yeah. Um, and it's just sort of like, yeah, we haven't necessarily gotten better. Like in some ways we really have, but in some ways people are being held back from innovating and from doing their best work because they're just under such a gun to get things out as fast as they possibly can. It's just all about the churn mm -hmm. and the churn hurts everybody. Yeah. Because also, so many of these things are sort of like, you know, a lot of projects uh, are kind of written before and after and during and like by committee in a weird way. We're like, well, we, we have this sequence we want to do that we've been working on. So it has to be in this or ah, this doesn't work. We're just going to we're just going to force this other like actor into this scene that wasn't there in the original script and things like that. 
And then, so you overwork everybody, and then it's this mishmash of ideas to make it work, but then it doesn't because totally art needs a perspective and like a focus. And um, this is like okay, so this is why I feel like I get so angry <laughs> about the strike is that everyone that works in entertainment, literally everyone from people at the studio all the way down to like the PAs, like they came to work in entertainment because they love TV and movies. They love these things. They want to create them. And, you know, we're all out here doing our best and trying so hard. And we take so much pride and care in our craft and our skill. And we want to put the best foot forward. And I think what's so frustrating is that you know, these venture capitalists, tech guys, whatever, whoever they are that came in at the top and changed everything. I think they kind of saw from the outside how the industry was working and they were like, okay, great. Uh, we get it. <laughs> and we're just going to make everything a lot worse. And they don't understand that like, we're doing all of these jobs. We're doing all of these things in spite of the naturally difficult conditions of the entertainment industry like it is a hard job to be on set like that that's never going to change like sometimes you're you know shooting a movie that takes place in the winter and you have to be outside all night in the snow you know like there's so much stuff that you and the hours are going to be long like and erratic and too yeah and erratic yeah and there's going to be scrambling as well like you know you're you might be on set and all of a sudden like a location falls through and so it's like okay now you need to rewrite it so that scene can take place here instead of there or whatever or like oh we lost this actor like make it so the scene doesn't include that person you know there's always elements of that and instead of you know having a situation where it's like okay we have this script that we feel really good about that we have budgeted that we have planned for that's what we're shooting here we go and we're going to have the writer on set in case something goes wrong or in case something comes up that we need to pivot now it's just like okay we have this script that we feel like kind of okay about we're going to keep working on it but we need to just get the train moving anyway so why don't the train start moving and then there's going to be mm -hmm. constant scrambling and rewriting and blah 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 and so again it's like they saw an industry that had you know, a lot of risk and that had a lot of sort of instability and a lot of last minute changes and long hours and hard working conditions. And they were like, OK, great, we're going to make all of that worse and we're going to remove all positive incentives. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. <laughs> Good point. Like, it's something that you see because like the, the stuff you're describing, like the onset sort of stressors that also if you start with we want to make this story. We want to make this. Here's the thing it's going to be. That other stuff kind of drives the project in a way. Like you get like kind of an adrenaline high from it. You like, oh, I'm going to solve this problem. It sort of creates parameters totally. within the project. But if you take that and you're like, what if the whole thing was that? What if like it's just a constant like process for years of figuring out what you're doing instead of having yeah. something and then trying to make that and having to solve problems? Totally. It's also like, I have had jobs where not all of my jobs are on my IMDb, by the way. So if you think you know what I'm talking <laughs> about, you might not. Um, but I've had jobs where, you know, you're just constantly being asked to solve problems and you do. You're like, hey, that massive problem that we have, I actually was able to solve it. And everyone is like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now you actually need to solve this massive problem. And if you push back at all it's kind of just like 
well, like, that's the problem. You need to solve it. You know, like you have, there's just not a lot of like agency that you have and you're not rewarded for solving yeah. problems. You're just given more shit to do at, on a tighter yeah. timeline. I want to, I yeah. do want to talk about AI stuff, but I think it relates to all of this because there's a, a death of creativity is at the core of all of this. There's so many different people inputting when you talk about all these changes, we just got to get started. And, but there's studios and people that are not creatives that are having a final say and like, but I actually want explosions. So can we make this romantic explosion comedy? I don't know. Like it's whatever it is. And it, it just, it kills the actual. Yeah. It's art. like, cause it's a, the, the death of creativity and sort of like, all, it's like a lack of reverence for it, but also like kind of a jealousy of it. Like I see that mm. with a lot of people trying to do the AI stuff where it's like, well, I don't need creative people. I can do it. I'm creative. I can just tell right. the robot to do it. And it's just kind of this soulless mash of, of stuff. I would also love to hear an explanation of mini rooms before we go. Yeah, we oh, do. Yeah. We want to know mini rooms and I want to hear about what's at stake with the AI. Totally. Of it all. Um, so yes, so mini rooms, I will caveat by saying I have not been in a mini room. Uh, so my experience is coming only from hearing yeah. about it. But basically what happens is what used to happen, what normally happens with writing a television show is that someone would work for free forever, uh, to develop an idea for a show, which is a tremendous amount of work, um, just to be clear. And they would then sell that show. The network that bought it would pay that person, the creator, to write a pilot episode, the first episode of that show. Then they would decide, okay, do we actually want to make this show? Then they would shoot it. And then they, once they had the full pilot, they would watch it and say, okay, now do we want to make more episodes of this show? And then if they did, they would pick up that show and then tell the creator, now you get to hire a writing staff and they are going to help you write season one of that show however many episodes they order now what's happening is they're saying okay we bought this pilot from you we have this pilot script we don't know if we want to spend more money on this so we want you to hire we're going to give you a development budget to hire a few writers for you know two weeks three weeks one week whatever to work with you to come up with the entire season so that you can tell us what the season will be. And a lot of times it involves actually writing scripts yeah. and they're not paid for it. Like normally when you are a writer on a TV staff, you are paid a weekly fee and then for all of the work that you are doing throughout the season. And then if you write an episode, you are also paid a script fee on top of that, which is also a good thing because it used to mean that if you wanted to give a writer's assistant a script, you know, to like someone who was not on the writing staff, if you gave them a script, they would get that script fee. They, yeah. That was another source of income for them. And also a really good incentive Credit for people to take those on. jobs. Yeah. And then they get to move on. It's experience. So all of that has been removed, essentially, uh, or it's vanishing. Um, and a mini room is basically just a way for them to get an entire season of television written without having to actually pay the writers because... The other thing with mini rooms is that they're like, oh, well, you know, it's just a development thing. Like, we're just sort of trying this out. We just want to see, like, what the show can be. Like, we don't really know. So we're just throwing a little bit of money at it. So everybody is coming in at the same rate. And so that means that people with, you know, 20 years of writing experience who have made shows before, who have been on set 
they're coming in and just getting paid the same exact flat rate as someone who maybe it's their first job. And it's, you know, significantly lower than what they would get paid if they were actually hired to actually write a show. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's just a way of essentially getting the same amount of work for spending significantly less money and then also making it uh, way harder for writers to qualify for health insurance mm. because they're not making a, yeah. enough money. Also seems like maybe a way to make a lower quality season of television. <laughs> Like in that situation, like, are you going to be like doing your best stuff because you know you're not getting paid enough? You're not going to get this. You're not going to get this. And you're just going to be disposed of in a week. Are you going to yeah. do your best stuff there? And you're not going to participate in the success of it at all. So it's exactly. like, who cares? Yeah. What's like, your you're incentive? not even going to be credited on it a lot of times. And like, that's what, that's also what I get so mad about. Sorry, I will get to AI, but <laughs> I get so mad about it because if, you know, I was listening to Betsy Thomas, who's a WGA member. I think she might even be on the negotiating committee, but she was on a podcast and she said it best where she was like, they prey on our pride and our work mm -hmm. because they are basically just saying like, we know that you care very deeply about the quality of the right. work that you do. And so don't you want to work as hard as you possibly can to make this good in spite of everything that we're putting on you mm -hmm. and more often than not the answer is yes like i do want my thing to be as good as possible i want it to be a reflection of my taste and you know my sensibility i want it to be uh meaningful and so you know we work so 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 hard and they're just like great you take on all the onus of making it good and then we get all the benefit I uh somebody some studio exec said literally that I think about the strike recently where they oh were just love like, of working ending yeah, the yeah, strike yeah, yeah. Like, oh, David Zaslav said that yeah exactly yeah like, it'll end soon they love it that piece of shit yeah I don't think yeah. he knew he was making himself like the villain of like he definitely the last does month. not know they don't get did it. you see does he not get it now the commencement speech oh, the commencement yes. speech and then today there's a New York Times article it's all about like his like wonderful time at the con at film party. festival oh, and yeah. his party yachts. and the yachts and the it's yachts just like, yeah buddy it's like you so want to be a so bad that you're just like look at me i'm a hobnobbing hollywood cool yeah. guy like it's just like you literally read the room and like save all that stuff for when the strike is over like He's, yeah. You, yeah yeah he stole 300 million dollars so he could insulate himself from all the people he stole the money from it's so bad it is like, it's wild so bad, yeah it is it it blows my mind to see it you're like they don't the audacity they don't yeah, care they how do they not they notice they, they just don't care they think they can get away with it right they think it doesn't is it trolling really... us yeah that's what like i again like i was not here for the previous strikes um and so maybe this is an off-base read but i think that is what feels so different about this one at least from what i've heard is that <laughs> the audacity like they don't even feel the need to lie anymore like mm -hmm. they're just like carol lombardini who's the chief negotiator for the amptp which is the bargaining collective yeah. for all these corporations she literally said to the wga negotiating committee that writers are lucky to have term employment Oof. like sh they are literally just like we don't need you we don't care about you <laughs> and stop asking for a living wage we don't want to pay it to you like they don't feel the need to lie anymore which is kind of crazy kinda, but also i guess a good thing so that we can yeah i was gonna say it's like yeah. it's alarming that they think they can get away with it but i do have hope that they won't i think like totally even, they even, won't they won't and even since like the previous strike i feel like there's not not just like within the entertainment industry but like just a general 
like sense that like things are bad situations are bad this relationship this like boss relationship is bad across many many all industries and i think especially in hollywood probably with like you know the directors guild might be joining sag all these uh groups being like yeah this kind of sucks actually and we're supposed to be artists yeah and i think that the sense even uh like just amongst the general population is like yeah People deserve more than they're getting. It's also, everywhere. and here's where I'll get to AI. Ooh, <laughs> transitions, we love it. <laughs> it's also like we can all now see the writing on the wall. Like we've watched this happen to every single industry. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, we see everyone is just seeing like we know where this ends and it ends with everyone losing except for whoever gets out at the right time up top. And with AI, like, you know, we can see that new technology knocking on the door. And, you know, it's not a matter of, I don't think AI is ever going to fully replace mm -hmm. creative writing, like or creative writing done by humans. Human, yeah. But it absolutely could very easily and probably pretty quickly become something that the studios can use to pay us less. Where, mm -hmm. so basically, you know, when you're a feature writer, you know, you get paid to, you know, either you write a script for free and then you sell it and then you're paid for that script or you get paid to write a script. But that initial script fee or getting paid to write that script is usually the most amount of money that you're making. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, you, you might get paid to rewrite it, which is a lesser fee because it's less work than writing a script from scratch. And then there's something called a polish, which is less than a rewrite and you're paid even less than a rewrite. And so there's, you know, these steps that have corresponding numbers usually or number ranges. And it's it's not hard to imagine that the studios would essentially like tell ChatGPT like, hey, write To Kill a Mockingbird as a movie. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, hey, we've got this horrible script that makes no sense, <laughs> but it is a script. And we want you to just rewrite it. So we're going to pay you even less to just rewrite this script as opposed to write something new. Exactly. And Yeah, do a quick polish. That, yeah. Yeah. And like, or just being like, oh, like, hey, ChatGPT, like, give me an outline for a movie about like a mermaid who goes to space or whatever. And they're like, here it is. And it's like, okay, great. We've got this outline. Like, so now you don't need to do that step. And you can just write this Fix thing, it. even yeah. though it's, yeah. And, and in this one, so Eric is Finch to... is Wolverine and you yeah. just make that work. <laughs> well, so much of AI is that, at least, especially now, but like just this sense of like, you need humans to watch it. Make sure yeah. that it's doing a, a, an okay job. Um, totally. Like human supervisors for the robots. We talked about this in the movie, in the movie, in a meeting recently. It's like people don't stop and think about that. There are actually people maintaining the running chat GBT. There are people. It's not like this is just some program. I don't know. Oh, it doesn't yeah. matter. No, it's, it's like, people, like yeah. and it's learning from work that yes. people have done. Like, that's the big thing with WGA where, you know, that was part of their proposal was like you can't use ai you can't use our literary material to train ai mm -hmm. to replace us <laughs> right because then you're gonna have ai make write a script that's like well these lines are from another movie and like totally. it doesn't know that it's doing that it's just sort of predicting like well lot, like this is the next sentence but it's pulling from this other stuff also and this obviously shouldn't have to be said but when things like chat gpt are like scraping from the internet and all this sort of language and now it make stuff chat gpt isn't going out and like living a life 
It's not experiencing things. It's not having unique experiences, which so much of what goes into actual creative work is your like a unique experience and like mm -hmm. a lived life. And it's really depressing to see people dismiss that aspect of it and think that it's just like, oh, the words are there. That's how it happens. Totally. And I think like the thing that I think is so upsetting about it, too, is that, you know, <laughs> all of these corporations like in the past few years have put you know a very strong emphasis on wanting to make the industry more inclusive and more diverse which is amazing because it is a very white industry and it's really hard to break into if you don't have access to some kind of financial safety net whether that's mm -hmm. generational wealth or whatever and so they're trying you know they're there's a lot of efforts and initiatives. And I know that individual people at the studios care very deeply about making sure that we're not just hearing stories from like one type of person. But at the same time, they are completely eliminating all of our entry level, lower level, mm -hmm. mid level jobs that make it possible for people to break into the industry and climb their way through as difficult as it is, it's still theoretically possible or it was. And then with this idea of like, you know, AI kind of like around the corner and their unwillingness to say that they are not going to use it to replace writers, actors, and directors, like that feels so gross because you can just easily imagine them being like, hey, ChatGBT, like give us a story about like, a, you know, like an African-American girl growing up in whatever time period. And then it's just mm -hmm. like the AI writes it and you're not actually getting the real experience you're not getting any story like, yeah like you don't actually care about kind of what we're actually trying to do here like enriching exactly, culture yeah. and yeah i could see how easy it would be for stereotypes and misconceptions totally to get looped in to completely cannibalize an actual event or story and make it into something else, which is very grotesque to think about. And just coming back around, like to what you were saying. Yeah. It, the writer that gets hired for a fraction of what they should to clean up the AI's mess still is going to care, still is exactly. going to want to make it as good as possible. And they are going to be in a position where they have to accept pennies to not just write it, but like fix it, which is a whole other. It's like, honestly, that could be more work than I've had friends come in, get hired to come in and fix a movie. And it becomes a whole can of worms instead oh, yeah. of like just being able to start it better from the beginning. You know, oh, yeah. totally. like adjusting a chat GPT, like an AI script will in a lot of cases probably be like way more time than it would take to just write the script yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the and the AI is pulling from the existing material. So if they're trying to do, you know, a, a story that's more diverse than Hollywood has typically been, it's scraping from stuff that was written by white people. Yeah. You know, yeah. 10 years exactly. ago, 20 years yeah. ago, 30 years ago. So it's going to be even less representative than it has been. Yeah. It's yeah. a quote robot. Basically. It feels very dystopian yeah. to think about how the way that it could go. We should wrap this up because we've recorded longer than we normally do. Only because yeah, sorry, I, I really went off. Do not be sorry. I was gonna say I just loved it. I love talking to you. I could talk another hour. Um, we're not going to, but I. But could. we can't. Yeah. Let our listeners know where they can find you, follow, 
uh, your work. I mean, obviously, there's Hocus Pocus too. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Jen underscore D'Angelo. And yeah, that's that's my only social media. I deleted Twitter years ago you. and I I don't look back. It's great. <laughs> no, but you're using your Instagram very well right now. So I do encourage people to follow and, you know, and lots of writers follow writers that you respect and their work. And, and I'm sure that they will also be posting about what's going on. But I highly recommend Jen. As I started off some very eloquent posts that are shareable and good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really great strike content out there. Uh, so yeah, I definitely recommend just like following whatever writer you like or find. Yeah, look for the uh, yeah. little red avatar. Is there yeah. something that you all want on the picket line more than pizza and water? Because I feel like you're probably <laughs> overloaded with pizza and water. There's a lot of pizza and water, which is really honestly incredible. Uh, thank you so much to people who've been donating. Um, I've also seen people are starting to bring popsicles out, which is really nice. And that's oh. going to be clutch as it gets that hotter and hotter. Soon. We should so, buy yeah. you all sun hats. Like the I big know, brim been, kind. I have a sun hat and I'm just like, everybody get sun hat and good shoes because yeah. you're going to hurt your back walking around on this pavement. <laughs> okay. That does it for us this week uh we'll be back next week and what else is it that i'm supposed to say there's something the else thing. that i say always the say the thing and the, the show the with what oh say that's right we love you very say much, much. Say the much.